What's up, Dreadfuls? It's your boy, Chris, and welcome to the Left 4 Dread. Um, I'm sorry I'm at the... I'm sorry I'm not at the recording right now. Uh, life has been very crazy, so I know Ryan's been doing a great job on the solo show, but uh, we live in the age of technology, so I decided to pre-record this, um, and with the magic of post-production, I will still be on the show. Um... So I hope everyone's enjoying our anthology episode. Uh, for this episode, we watched uh, Creepshow and XX, Double X. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, but uh, it was a really good time. Uh, these were my first times. Uh, this is my first time actually seeing both films. Um, to be honest, the only other anthology film I've seen... Um, Man, I think I'm drawing a blank. Um, I might have seen it more, but the, the ones that come into my head are the Doomsday Book and the ABCs of Death. Um, the Doomsday Book is not exactly a horror. I, it's more sci-fi thriller in the way that like Black Mirror is. Um, I guess the first movie about that is explicitly horror. Um, but the rest of it is like, they're really trippy sci-fi thought experiments. Um, and I really enjoyed them, so you should check it out. Um, but for the focus of this episode, uh, we watched Creepshow and XX. And I want to give my thoughts on it. So let's start off with Creepshow. Uh, this was directed by the famous uh, George A. Romero. And it was written by Steve, uh, by Stephen King, uh, his first screenplay, uh, to be exact, uh, which was really exciting. Um, and some fun facts, uh, Stephen King actually starred in the movie as well. Um, so Creepshow is a dark comedy, um, and that's, that's very much, you could sum up a creep show in like a sentence or elevator pitch it is a very tongue-in-cheek uh, macabre uh, and it's a very silly uh, anthology of short films um, they have a framing device where this little kid is being uh, wrestled by his dad for reading creep show which in the in the, the internal world of the movie is a comic book uh, very similar to the 1950s DC and EC uh, horror comics like Tales from the Crypt um, and that aesthetic is preserved throughout the entire film where uh, you have uh, the transition cards and uh, some outros where they emulate this very comic book feel like you have like splash panels and um very colorful um motion lines and, and stuff like that and and uh, with the framing device um you know a father um scolds his son for filling his head with trash uh of all this horror comic book nonsense and he throws out the book and uh the creep this otherworldly creature comes out of the comic book and we are guided through stories uh, from that comic book. Uh, uh, there was like five movies, five short stories, five short films 
Um, and I, I guess like the first thing that comes to mind is I kind of relate to this kid. Um, so I, as we all knew, as we all established before in the early episodes, I realized I was a pretty weird kid pretty early on. Um, just for quick recap, um, one of my all-time favorite films was Fantasia. Uh, as a kid, I used to rent that from the library all the time, and I would skip everything else um, just to get to the Night on Bald Mutton um, segment where Disney Disney animated a giant demonic mountain coming to life on Walpurgis Night, and he's playing with all these demons and witches and spirits and it was so cool and i wanted to buy a print of that when visiting disney world and my dad didn't let me um i guess my uh my mom and dad didn't don't really like horror i don't think they i think still to this day they still think uh, i have like really weird interests uh which is okay um i'm an adult yes <laughs> um but yeah, so I get from the framing device of this movie, the dad's like very hardcore against horror, and the mom, I guess, the mom's uh, tolerates it, you know, or or, toler- or at least encourages like creativity. Um, I mean, the kids still seem to have like a fair amount of horror memorabilia around the room, um, so I guess that's the mother's touch. Um, right there. Anyway, uh, let's get to some of the movies or some of the short stories. Um, so there's five of them. Uh, some of them are based on uh, Stephen King short stories, and some of them are original stories. Um, so you had uh, the prologue, which we just we went through. Uh, you had Father's Day, where it was an original story written by Stephen King for the film. And it's the story of an old patriarch um, who made his fortune through illicit activities like bootlegging and fraud and uh, murder for hire. Um, he was killed by his daughter, Bedelia, on Father's Day. And ever since then, she's been quite emotionally unstable and racked with guilt. And during a family reunion um, in 1979, they all get together. And, um, I guess through the power of whiskey, uh, old man Nathan comes back and wreaks revenge, uh, because he, he wanted a birthday cake. Uh, (laughs) and, um, this was so cheesy. Like, I enjoyed it, but the amount of, like, I don't know if the actors, I, I, I guess the actors were, like, purposely acting cheesy it's just the the one thing that just got me and just really nailed the tone of like how absurd and how campy and tongue-in-cheek this movie is it's just watching um ed harris with with a full head of hair and just dancing and the worst the worst bout of dancing i've ever seen in my life it's just it is so cringy um, and Ed Harris plays one of the husbands that married the family, and he gets crushed in the head by a tombstone by a zombified um, Nathan. Um, 
I just, it was just a very quirky thing. Um, the, the, the deaths were comedic. Um, the prosthetics of the zombies were, uh, they were, they were high quality, but they still had this low budget look, um, which I think it's keeping with Romero's brand. Um, and, uh, and I, I thought, I I thought it definitely worked and just the bizarre ending where he finally gets his cake, which is made out of a severed head of one of his daughters-in-law or daughters. Um, it was just, it was just very absurd time. Um, my, my, actually my favorite film or story from Creepshow was the second one, um, which actually starred Stephen King. Um, it was based on the short story Weeds, um, and Stephen King plays a uh, a dim-witted um, farmer uh, who lives in the middle of the woods and discovers a crashed meteorite, and he has dreams of fortune and fame because uh, he wants to sell it to a local college so he can repay his $200 loan. Um, he pours water on the meteorite because it's still scalding hot and it releases this mysterious alien bacteria that cr- causes crazy rampant plant growth on anything it touches. Um, so throughout the the story, which is called The Lose and Death of Jordy Verrill, uh, Jordy uh, starts to get this alien grass-like plant growing all over his body and it's getting all over the house and it's just literally getting everywhere um and um it's activated and exacerbated by water so near like the second act or like near the end of this this short story uh due to the constant itching he throws himself into a bathtub but then he finds himself completely covered in this alien grass um the end of the film is kind of dark he kills himself um and there the the to be continued dun 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 moment uh was playing on like the radio tv where um we see the alien plant life just spreading all across the, the entire property and then they announced the weather forecast would be rain like flash flooding types of rain for like the next few days or weeks so uh it's implied that this alien growth will continue to happen um and i found this one the most terrifying um i mean it's hard to i mean this is a horror movie but it's so delightfully campy um that I don't really, I didn't really find any of the other stories that scary, um, especially like with how comic, comically the um, the antagonists are portrayed, especially in the particular ones involving zombies, like um, the first one and something to tie you over. Um, but I felt like this one, I think. I think it it has the potential to be the most scare the scariest because it's when you think about it it's I guess it's not, maybe not it's not even an allegory but it's just like a commentary on like 
uh, like pathogens and outbreaks and epidemics and and how. Well, this one is like it's more of a, um, I don't know, Mother Nature striking back, even though it's an alien life form. But like how nature can the the, the power, the terrifying power of nature, and how whether it's like some crazy virus or some um, malevolent, like not even a malevolent, just like some rampant plant growth. Um, doesn't really have a malevolent will it just is and it just happens and it's something you can't really reason with especially uh and something nature's like incredibly powerful and incredibly tough to stop um in contrast i mean i guess with other with these other stories you know you have zombies um as like antagonist and you know there's still that uh, semblance of hope, an illusion of hope, like where well, you can try to appeal to the quote unquote humanity that's left in these undead antagonists. But when you're just dealing with an alien life form that has like the prime directive of we must reproduce and spread, you know, how do you fight like an agent force that is like evolution or just life itself? Um, I don't know. I'm being super, I'm waxing super philosophical right now. Um, so, I don't know, I, I, I found a bit of existential terror in that movie, and I really like existentialism, and, um, I really, I, that, that one was the one that really got me thinking, um, as opposed to these other stories, where, which, which were just, um, you know, cheap thrills, um, the Lonesome Dead... Oh, not the... Oof. Uh, the next one is something that tied you over, um, where this crazy guy, this crazy wealthy psychopath, um, decides to get revenge on his unfaithful wife and her new lover, um, by, um, burying and drowning them. Um, and they come back as zombies or as revenants. And they get revenge on him, and uh, he goes crazy at the end. Um, the biggest thing that surprised me is uh, Richard Vickers, the main antagonist. It was played by um, Leslie uh, Leslie Nielsen, uh, who I know him most um, profoundly through the Naked Gun series or movies. And I never seen him act in a straight up. Like a, a villainous role, which was a really nice treat for me. Um, I can't really say much else about this movie. It's just, uh, you know, it's just another zombie-related uh, tale where it was, just, it was just really campy, a really outlandish uh, um, premise. Um, really, uh, I, <laughs> I, I dug the, the cheap sound effect, or cheap, the, ooh, I dug the cheap, special effects and makeup where you had like these waterlogged zombies with covered in seaweed and stuff so it was it was pretty entertaining um uh uh the crate was i it reminded me of other films like i i guess it reminded me of uh what's it called like uh rare exports or rare import rare imports 
Rare Exports. This is the one of the the evil Santa Claus movie where it also involved a mysterious crate. Um, although it was, it was okay, um, it um, it kind of reminded me of like Love Crashing kind of stories, um, and. I don't know. Uh, it's it was not one of the ones that jumped out to me particularly, but uh, I dug the ape, the creepy ape like figure uh, creature, the uh, the practical effects. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, lastly, uh, there's the they're creeping up on you. Um, it reminded me a lot of some Twilight Zone episodes, um, and I think. It had one of the coolest effects where it just had tons and tons of uh, these cockroaches bursting out of his body at the end. I thought it was a really cool effect. And um, apparently 20,000 cockroaches were <laughs> were donated by the American Museum of Natural History for this uh, final episode. Um, and... Um, but uh, there's some production notes where um, a lot of these insects uh, in that final scene were nuts and raisins. Um, so take that as you will. Um, you hear a lot that uh, bugs are the new superfood and they're full of protein. So next time you see a cockroach, you know, just think of it as a nut or raisin. Uh, but I really enjoyed this this one. Um, uh, it has like these uh not only it, it combi- like it combines like the fear of claustrophobia and the fear of bugs and you, you know yeah and, and those fears comes realized when it gets the power goes out in a panic room and you're trapped and then you're just consumed from the inside out by cockroaches i i loved it it was great um and then at the end uh, with the second framing device uh we see that um, our little, uh, what's his name? Billy. Billy gets the last laugh because he orders a voodoo doll. Um, so yeah. Um, this is a, this is a, in, in general, a really fun movie. Uh, it was a nice laugh. Um, and it spawned a bunch of sequels. And I think most excitedly, um, in July of this year, um, it was announced that, oh, it was, um, it was announced that um, a creep show television series. Well, another one. Uh, I think there was a, tele- pr- a television series um, that was released beforehand. Um, but yeah, it's going to be uh, produced by Greg Nicotero and it will stream eventually on Shudder. So good on you, Shudder. You're awesome. And I can't wait to see it. And uh, can't wait to hear more information about it. Um, next we're going to hop on over to XX, um, double X, um, and it's a, another horror anthology film, um, but the thing that distinguishes it from, I guess, distinguishes, uh, the the thing that makes it special, these are all female directors, so you all, uh, you are seeing horror from a female perspective and POV and it's really cool and it was premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January 2017 um, 
you're you can have, you can watch this on the Shutter app right now. So which is how we watched it, and um, the framing device for this is really interesting. Um, it's a stop motion animation uh, directed by Sophia Carrillo, and it is very abstract. It's very avant garde. Like even now, I'm not quite sure what to make of the plot, if any. But it's very visually engaging. Uh, it involves a walking dollhouse with a blinking and rotating doll face on it, and it also has like a separate sentient hand that moves around and scurs around drawers and around the house and collects items for the dollhouse. And it's moving throughout the house. Um, and moving throughout the interior, um, it goes into a room with living sewing needles that's making tiny tapestries. Um, and it, you, there's this one room where uh, we see a an apple that's beating as if it's the heart, but it's also rotting at the same time. It was that was a really cool, interesting effect. Um, and at the end, um, we see that the dollhouse revives a girl using a either dead or taxonomied or reanimated bird as its heart, and she wakes up, and it's all very, (coughs) it's all very strange, um, but I guess you don't really have to get it. Um, if there's a plot, please explain it to me. That'd be great. Especially you, Ryan. Uh, you're way smarter than me. Um, but I just love stop motion animation in general. And this really, really made me want us to do like a stop motion animation horror episode in the future. Um, you know, we could talk about Coraline. Um, we could talk about Nightmare Before Christmas or Paranorman. Um, maybe, maybe even Kuba and the Two Strings. I mean, it's not explicitly horror. I mean, there's like some terrifying moments in there for sure. Uh, and it, it does involve a lot of spirits and the other world. Um, but yeah, I love stop motion. So that was, uh, that was a, re- it was a, re- it's so interesting to watch this, uh, watch the dollhouse, um, um, framing device short story uh oof, I mean, i'm tired i'm sorry um and yeah i would love to see behind the scenes uh production on how it was animated i know going back to koopa and the two strings they did this amazing thing in the credits where they showed how they animate like this giant fight scene um and i have incredible respect for stop motion animators so good on you good on you sophia um so we have uh, a couple of stories, uh, we have four of them to be exact, um, that comprise the rest of the movie. Uh, you had The Box, um, The Birthday Party, Don't Fall, and Her Only Living Son. Um, so I think The Box was the most, I don't want to say generic, but... I mean, it wasn't. I thought it was. Uh, the the plot was 
Uh, the hook was interesting, but I don't think there was anything else that really captured my uh, imagination. Uh, basically, this kid um, uh, meets a mysterious man on the train along with his family. He looks as a present box, and a pe- and then um, we see that the kid loses his appetite, refuses to eat. And then, through some weird uh, device, maybe it's, uh, I think it's implied that once the knowledge of what was in the box spreads to another person, uh, which was then spread vis-a-vis from the kid to his sister, then to the dad, um, they all start to not eat and they get emaciated and the mom um, is left um, alone and because they all die and now she uh patrols the train trying to look for the mysterious man with the present um i don't i don't know um what to make of it i don't know what was the, what was the greater message i mean there has to, i think i assume there was um i mean i guess there's the politics and social dynamics of it. you just got to eat you got to eat you're going to die and um uh, I mean, I guess there was something to to, to do. Maybe there's something there where the mother found happiness in her dream when she saw her kids and family finally eating again, and she's happy about it. But they were cannibalizing her. Maybe it's a story about. Uh, out of you know what? I'm just I'm just pulling stuff out of my butt right now. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh. Maybe, maybe it's it's also very late right now. So maybe you 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 tell me what it's about. I want to hear your thoughts. Um, but I don't know. Maybe this sounds very hard. This probably this probably sounds all very bad for audio right now. Ryan, cut everything out. Um, I don't know. It just it was it just didn't really grab my imagination. Um, I don't know. Maybe I, I I assume there's probably some subtext about about food and how it re- relates to family dynamics. I don't know, but that's what uh, I, I, that, I'm just pulling straws right now. What I'm trying to say, it wasn't my favorite of the bunch. Um, the weirdest one, not. Uh, not the scariest, but the weirdest one was the birthday party, um, which was directed by Annie Clark, and it's about a very, very stressed out, anxious mom named Mary trying to hold a birthday party, and through a series of incredibly stupid and bad decisions, forever scars her daughter. Um, so I th- at the beginning, Mary finds her husband, I, I think, commit suicide through overdose. Uh, and instead of calling the police, um, she ends up hiding the body because the greater priority was uh, throwing this birthday party for her daughter. And, um, you know, they, it goes through all these hijinks of her trying to hide the body. Um, and it ends horrifically badly when... Uh, after 
like everyone finds out about the dead dad uh, because she decided to hide it in a panda suit uh, bought off by one of the entertainers and it was very stupid uh, <laughs> a very stupid plan um, I don't I guess the horror aspect is just like the the small small horrors and anxieties that comes with like suburban life I know it sounds very first world where like Mary has I, I guess the, the horror and the, the, the what scares her is just like being anxious and putting on you know a quote-unquote normal persona that's acceptable to societal norms and um which I yeah I, I mean and I guess I I, I mean I I don't want to criticize people who have severe social anxiety I mean that's definitely a thing um but there is a degree of common sense you should call the police if you find your husband dead from overdose because you just look super guilty um um I don't know I mean people do stupid things under stress too so I guess you know you it's a I don't know you people do crazy things in high in flutter flight modes. Um, I guess the one thing I don't get um, was why Mary was so afraid of Carla the nanny. Um, every time like Carla would like appear on screen, like there's like this really hot like super spooky trill would happen on screen. Um, I didn't think I, I wasn't sure if Mary thought that her husband was having an affair with Carla or like Carla secretly killed the husband it's not very clear um, but um, the thing that about Carla her uh, I guess the clothing her hairstyle I guess everyone I just think the set design it seemed like a Retro futuristic or alternate uh, reality where it's like the present, but it's also the fifties. It's like a very strange, very mo- like it's like modern clothes, but if the fifties never went out of style, I, I it's hard to explain. But like you know exactly what I mean if you you look at Carla, uh, her dress and like some of this awful like i don't know what to st- maybe that's the true horror like the the something like the, the the paper the the wallpaper and like the finish the furnishings of the home it just it it is so it is so suburban that it's just it's surreal if that makes sense um and that's that's what scares me i don't know but um, this was a very quirky movie. Um, the next one we have is Don't Fall. Uh, and this may be, well, well very longing because, like, uh, I would, I always wanted to, um, you know, camp out in the middle of Grand Canyons, go hiking. Like, that's something that me and my friends do a lot. We like to go hiking. There's this one trail called the Billy Goat Trail where I live where you scale over rocks like that and it's so cool and I live for that kind of stuff um 
and then it becomes a cautionary trail of like don't <laughs> don't tread on ceremonial grounds because demons will come up and possess you and then you're gonna kill your your own friends um i did not expect that um this became a demonic possession movie which was it was very cool i loved the special effects um Gretchen, who becomes the harbinger of this evil ancient pagan uh, demon, um, it becomes like super deformed. Uh, like, or, like you had like these crazy vertebrae sticking out of her back, like elongated arms and claws. It reminded me, me a lot of um, like the Demogorgon or um, the Liquor from the Resident Evil games. And I just loved it. Oh, God, that was so cool. I really enjoyed that. Um, a pretty straightforward story um, where the demon possesses them and everyone dies and they are added to the collection. And um, that was a really, it's a really visually stunning flick. Uh, lastly, I, I love this one. This one is um, Her Only Living Son, directed by Karen Kasama. It's a, I, I would describe it as like a reverse Rosemary's Baby. Um, uh, it's, it has to do, it's, well, uh, let's backtrack. This was a movie based on a long tradition of like, f- movies based on the Faustine deal where um, a life or a soul uh, is traded um, and to a demon for some sort of reward or some sort of of goal and there's like there's a dark terrible price um similar to rosemary's baby um we have single more single mother cora and her rebellious rebellious son andy who's about to turn 18 and andy's uh uh exhibiting very strange and dark behavior and we've later find out that he's the Antichrist uh, um, done through a fasting deal where the husband offered up Cora and her baby to the devil in exchange for riches and fame and a new wife um, in Hollywood uh, which is a lot like Rosemary's Baby where um, the husband offers up uh Rosemary and her vessel, her womb, and the and the, and the child uh, to create uh, to the devil um, uh, to create the antichrist in exchange for Hollywood fame. Um, but the reason why I say this is a reverse Rosemary's Baby is that Rosemary didn't real like she didn't have any agency uh, really. Um, she was always under. She was, she was basically a pawn, um, whether it was a pawn of her husband or of Satan or that the secret satanic cult that inhabits her building, um, and she's constantly uh, in the in the dark. She doesn't know what's going on. Uh, all these weird changes are happening, um, and in the end she finds out she gives birth to the Antichrist. Um, but then 
she she embraces she she embraces it because uh, she's a mom, and you know you should love your children even if they're satanic spawn. Um, what's really interesting? <coughs> what's really interesting is that uh, Cora is the complete inverse of Rosemary. Like she, despite despite uh, her husband and satanic forces. Uh, whether it's Satan himself or this these, this cult that spans all across America that's trying to chase her net and they're trying to uh, <coughs> <coughs> that's trying to chase him down or influence her. Um, she retains a an incredible amount of willpower and agency and. Uh, Self-sufficiency. <laughs> Sorry, my my throat's dry. Because uh, we 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 uh, find out throughout the course of the movie, um, she find well, she relays her crazy theory to a, a, one of her doctor friends, and the doctor friends believes her, and she, uh, he gives her the means to flee and go on the run. So they've been. Hopping from town to town, escaping like these crazy cultists that are a part of daily society, like Andy's teachers or the the family postman, um, who are all secret cultists uh, waiting the, the arrival of Andy and the Antichrist and the the end of days. Um, uh, but Cora. Um, She's incredibly, incredibly strong protagonist, um, and this is v- quite prevalent. Uh, no more, well, no more prevalent than in the final act, where um, Andy's fully realizing his heritage, and he's saying that his dad, his true father, is coming to claim him, and Cora, um, similarly like Rosemary, embraces. Her son, and uh, she uses her willpower uh, to stave off and fight, uh, fight off against Satan, like almost mano a mano, and it's uh, such a powerful scene, and the ends on a really bitter note. Um, Satan's like, "Well, I've, I can't have my son. No one will," and he kills them both, uh, but they die in each other's embrace. Um, and I think of this as like a super uh, Faustian deal flavored uh, adaptation of The Giving Tree where like the mom gives so much um, and she she gives up um, you know she gives up all, literally everything to protect her son. And even though both of them died, I guess, you know, in the way she won, because, you know, like, she kept her son. Uh, and he didn't fall into the thrall of Satan. So that's good. Um, so that was the last movie. Um, I really enjoyed Triple X, or, I'm sorry, Double uh, X. Oof. I am tired. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. It was great. Um... And I really hope they they'll do a follow up. Um, I know it got some pretty positive 
reviews uh, in general, and um, you never know. Um, I would like to see more indie female directors uh, uh, stab it, uh, you know, trying their hand at horror and um, and seeing what new interesting stories that they can create and come up with. Um, so that's pretty much it. I I really enjoy these flicks. Um, I think I think between the two, I like. I would I like uh, XX more because uh, I thought it was more per, uh, more thought provoking and I thought I think I think it tickled my cerebrum more. Um, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love like the the cheesy entertainment factor and the uh, dark comedy of of creep show, um, but. I don't know, just XX just made me think, especially especially the 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 birthday party. Like, what a Gonzo film! I just it's just so strange. And then her only living son, like it it just draws. It, I I had so much fun analyzing this film because um, I was joking with uh, with Ryan before about Faustian deals and. Um, uh, Back in college, one of my electives, like you know, I just, I was just doing it for, you know, shits and giggles. I should have I should have been using it for like other important classes, but I actually took a higher level modern languages class, which was uh, all about uh, the Faustian deal in literature. So we covered uh, Goethe's Faust and Christopher Marlowe's Faustus or Doctor Faustus, um, and then modern. Interpretations like Rosemary's Baby and uh, Crossroads, not the Britney Spears Crossroads. The uh, what's it? Oh God, uh, not Dan, not Danny Larusso. Wow, I can't not remember. Uh, Ralph Maggio. Wow, ha. <laughs> uh, I completely forgot his name for a second. It's basically Karate Kid meets guitars, blues guitars, because. Uh, Blue, like the one of the most famous blues legends, Robert Johnson, has a uh, a nice folk lo- folk legend involving fasting deals. So um, it was it was a nice treading down this lane. Um, I literally haven't seen Rosemary's Baby since that class, and uh, it just brought up some really nice discussions and lectures from that class. So anyway. Uh, this is Chris, and enjoy the rest of the episode, and stay tuned, and I love you all, Dreadfuls, and enjoy these flicks. Peace.